0: Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday morning podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. We've been studying in Sunday school during our Sunday school hour, Life of King David. We have this week and next week, and then we are going to uh, wrap up that study. And so in our morning service, for those of you who might be visiting with us today, in our morning service, we've been connecting our thoughts with that study. And so I uh, appreciate your giving thought to this. I want to ask you a question this morning. We've been looking at the life of King David. Is there anything that you and David have in common? What might you and David, King David, have in common in your experience and in your life? I'd like you to kind of hold that a thought for a few minutes as we... Uh, review quickly, because not everybody was here this morning, but just a very quick review of this morning's lesson, and then I want to tie together some threads. When I say tie together some threads, you know what that means? It's a little bit discombobulated at the beginning, right? So hopefully when we're done, it it looks like something, (laughs) okay? So, uh, pray for me. Uh, I don't know how your morning got off to a good start today. Your morning got off to a good start? Good, you're here. Mine did too, until I got here. Because I got here and somehow from the time I sat my Bible down to print off some notes, put my Bible, I lost my Bible. I'm not kidding you. It's somewhere in the office. And I, I know, and I can't find it. And so tomorrow, Julie or somebody will find the Bible and say, is this your Bible? And all I could think of was that song from uh, Veggie Tales. you know, where's my hairbrush? Anybody remember that? <laughs> Anybody remember that song? And I found my son and where is my Bible? Where, oh, where is my Bible? <clears throat> so I had to grab my other one and I realized I got about this much binding before the whole thing falls apart. So a little bit of duct tape and we're good. Literally. <clears throat> Second Samuel this morning we looked at, let me just, uh, let's, let's pray. Father, we're going to open your word for a moment and we pray your blessing upon your word. We never take for granted the freedom we have to come, to open it, to talk about it, to share it. And we thank you for that freedom, and we pray that we will not uh, take it carelessly, but we will consider your word today. Might you bless it to our hearts through the presence of your holy spirit. We pray this in Christ, our beautiful savior 's name. Amen. In second Samuel chapter twelve, we looked at it in class this morning again i'm not going i don 't want to review the whole thing because for those of you that were in Sunday school, we spent a lot of time on this. If you weren't with us this morning <coughs> for Sunday school. This is a story that's pretty well known. We think about the life of King David. We think about probably the one major blight, if you will, on his life story. And it is the story of Bathsheba and his adultery with Bathsheba. And just a thumbnail sketch, if you remember that it tells us that when the kings went off to war in the spring, David stayed home in Jerusalem. And it says that David was out on his rooftop of his house. He probably should have been off to war with his army, but he stayed home. He's on his rooftop. He looked down. His his house would have been the highest in the community. It was the king's house. And he looked down and a uh, house below him. And there was Bathsheba, Bathsheba, daughter of Sheba, Bath, his daughter, and uh, very beautiful. And he saw her bathing. And lust entered his heart. <clears throat> and he looked at her and he arrogantly which I think is a key word myself and his his sin here. He arrogantly commanded, after he found out who she was, she is the daughter of Uriah the Hittite, one of your top military commanders, a fearless, brave commander, it wasn't even Jewish. She was a Hittite who was serving in your army loyally. It's his wife. And David arrogantly says, I want her, go get her. And they do. And she comes into his bed and she he commits adultery with her. And when he's done with her, I think very arrogantly, sends her on her way. This is a man after God's own heart, right? And afterward, of course, the word comes back, uh, I'm pregnant. It's your child. And so David, we're just giving you a quick summary, right? And so David then uh, tries to entice Uriah to come, he has him come home and tries to entice her to go home and be with his wife for the evening. So it can be his responsibility. Uriah has nothing to do with it for two times and finally, David has no, from his perspective, no uh, further way to do this than he sends him off to be killed and purposely has him killed uh, fighting his war. About at least nine months later, because the baby's born, maybe up to a year, Nathan the prophet confronts David, tells him a story about a man who takes a precious little animal that one a family has, this one little ewe lamb that's their pet lamb they love, And this arrogant man who has everything comes and has it killed. And David says, that man should be treated the same way. Nathan says, David, you are the man. And David says, I've sinned against the Lord. And because of that, the end result is in David's family, the sword will never depart. There is bloodshed in his family. There is rebellion. There's rape. There's all sorts of horrible things go on in the king's family. But God says, David... The the kingship will never leave your family. Here's the price you pay. You are forgiven. We read some of the passages this morning from the Psalms that record David's response to that. So that is a thumbnail sketch real quickly. I'm not sure where that word came, thumbnail. I'm not sure how much I could write on my thumbnail, but that's, that's the sketch you get of that account. And here's some things I want to consider this morning, some threads I'd like to pull together. This, of course, is not the first time that a king of Israel sins. David is the second second king. King Saul is the first king of Israel. And and King Saul is a very humble man. In fact, he didn't even want to be king. He was a tall man, head and shoulders above everybody in Israel. But when it came time to anoint him, he was hiding behind the donkey cart because he didn't want the job. He was afraid. He was humble before God. But God called him to be the king of Israel. And I'd like you to look at 1 Samuel chapter 13. After Saul, King Saul a very prominent uh, name from here on in, in the Jewish uh, heritage, pa- Paul, Saul of Tarsus, King Saul. And in First Samuel 13, not too long after his victories and his his uh, his honor before God and before the nations, before the people, it tells us in verse 1, he was 30 years old, he became king, he reigned over Israel 40 years. All three of the kings, Saul, David, Solomon all reigned 40 years. Very easy to remember. They all reigned for 40 years. And he goes out to battle against the Philistines. And uh, things are not going well. And you can read this account here. And you'll notice in verse uh, 7, that 6 and 7, it's so bad that the army is hiding in caves and thickets and the rocks and the pits. And the I'm sorry, end of verse 6. Some even went across the Jordan River. It is not going well. The battle is going bad. They are going to lose this battle to the Philistines, it appears. And it says that Saul remained at Gilgal in verse seven. All the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days. The time set by Samuel. Samuel said, wait seven days and I will come. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And Saul's men began to scatter. They began to leave. They were deserting. They were, they were, it was a defeat. They were going. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offerings. He intrudes the office of the priesthood. In the Mosaic law, the responsibilities of the priest and the king are separate. They are not to mix. They are not to join. The only time they ever join is in the person of who? Jesus Christ, the priest king. But they are not to mix. And Saul intrudes the office of the priesthood and he offers the sacrifice, but it's a desperate situation. And, and Samuel didn't show up when he was supposed to. And the army is on the verge of losing this battle. And so he offers the sacrifice. And when he does so, it says, just as he finished it, Samuel arrives, of course. right? Saul goes out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. And Saul replied in verse 11, when I saw the men were scattering, and that you did not come at the set time. You didn't come when you were supposed to. We set a time and you didn't show up. And the Philistines were assembling at Michmash. I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. I have not sought the Lord's favor. I have not asked the Lord's help. We have not come and offered sacrifice and asked him to help us. And so I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. In verse 13, you acted foolishly, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have... He. If you had, it was conditional. If you had done this, if you had obeyed him and not did what you did, if you had done this, God would have established your kingdom, your family, the family of Saul, the Benjamin, over all Israel for all time. This would have been the case, Saul, if you had obeyed. It was conditional, but you didn't do it. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. David sinned with Bathsheba in a very arrogantly, a very arrogant way, a very hideous way to murder, murder someone who was willing to lay his life on the line who wasn't even an Israelite For David's army and for David's own people. And for David's glory, if you will. And the glory of Yahweh, Israel's God. Saul also made a mistake. Now we can assume all sorts of things about Saul. Right? We can assume that he was far from God. We can assume he was... We are not told that. We are not told that. We are told the facts. Samuel was supposed to come. He didn't arrive when they were supposed to be there. Saul realized God's army was about to be destroyed by the Philistines. And it would have been brutal, friends. It would have been savage. And Saul looks at the situation and says, we need to ask God's help. Please bring the offering. We will offer the burnt offering. I'm sure Samuel will understand. He offers the offering. And then, of course, Samuel shows up and says, Saul, you acted foolishly. And because you did this, because you did this, the kingdom is taken. It would have been in your family. We would not be talking about Jesus Christ coming from the king of family of David. We would be talking about Jesus Christ, our savior from the family of Saul, different tribe. But he says, because you did this, the kingship is taken from your family forever. Saul has another episode. Saul has another episode where he makes a mistake. In other words, recorded. And that is in Psalm, in 1 Samuel chapter 15. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, just a couple of chapters over, once again it's a battle. Once again, uh it's enemies of Israel, enemies, uh, enemies of God. And it has to do with the Amalekites and their king Agag. And I know it's another study and it's one that people ask a lot of questions about, but God had them destroy these enemies. You know, it says in the it says in the in the law, it does say that Moses was told to tell the people, When you go against the city, you offer a peace. If it accepts it, you spare them and they will serve you. If they don't, then you destroy them. And he came against in this time it was the Amalekites and King Agag, and you notice in verse eight. We're not going to read all the detail. You can take a little bit of time and read about this battle. He took King Agag of the Amalekites alive. He didn't kill him. He didn't destroy him. And all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and the lambs. Everything was that that was good, they were unwilling to destroy completely. But everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroy. God said, destroy everything. Whether you like it or I like it. I didn't write it. You didn't write it. Okay. God said, destroy everything. It was their punishment for their sin. And these were these were sinful people. You read some of the history of the Near East. I don't want to go into details, but uh, it was, they were sinful people. And God said, destroy everything. And instead they spared the king and they kept the best of the animals. The ones that could be sacrificed to God. The ones that could be eaten, they kept the best and they got rid of the worst. And then, of course, Samuel shows up. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. Verse 10, I'm grieved I have made Saul king. He has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled. He cried out to the Lord all night long. Samuel did not want to see this happen to King Saul. We see this throughout the story with Samuel. it, It grieves his heart that this has happened to Saul. So he goes there. And he, and he says he says he's told to, to go there because he says Saul has set up a monument in his own honor in verse 12 and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. Samuel reached Saul. Saul says to him, verse 13, Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. This, this is a great line in the Bible. And Samuel says, really, what's this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? You destroyed everything? Wait a minute. What do I hear? It's like a kid getting caught, right? Parents, you know, wait a minute, what? What what is that in your pocket? What is that I hear? And Samuel begins to explain what happened. They brought the Amalekites, they saved the best. In verse 16, Samuel Saul says that. And Samuel says, stop, stop, stop talking. Let me tell you what the Lord has said to me last night. Tell me, Saul says. Samuel said, although you were once small in your eyes, Did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord God anointed you king over Israel. He sent you on a mission, say, Go completely destroy the wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war until you've wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why didn't you do this? Verse 20, But I did obey the Lord, Saul says. I went on the mission, the Lord asked me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers, the soldiers, took the sheep and cattle and plunder and the best of what God... Samuel says again, and, and he basically says in this little poetic piece here, if you see in your Bible, it's kind of offset in the Hebrew poetic, which it is isn't a Hebrew text, basically says, you don't get it, Saul. It is not the technicality of offering sacrifices that please God first. It is the heart. Bring your heart first. Then you bring the sacrifices. Faith and grace played an amazing role in the Old Testament sacrificial system. But notice in verse 24, After he has been told he's been rejected as king, once again, then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. Does that sound familiar? Huh? What is it Nathan said to David? David, you are the man. And what did David say? I've sinned against the Lord. Yep, it was me. I sinned against the Lord. Saul says the same thing. Was this genuine? Do we assume that, that Saul's lying? Do we Saul says, I get it, Samuel, I've sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I beg you, forgive my sin. Come back with me that I may worship the Lord. Samuel says, I won't go, but then he does go with him. And Saul is rejected. And we see two accounts of Saul's sin. But his repentance, was it genuine or not? You know what? God knows the heart. Maybe it was. Maybe Saul's repentance was genuine. Maybe his heart was struck and said, why did I do this? I, I know God did this for me. I don't know. Why did I, why did I doubt? Why, I don't know. All I know is the result. And when you think of King Saul... When you think of King Saul, if you've, if you've read the Old Testament, what, what kind of impression do you come away with? You come away with a man who what? Who failed and was rejected by God. That's how, that's how the story ends. started very beautifully, very humble man. First king of Israel, but it, but it ended sadly. Two times, Saul is rejected. And we can surmise all we want about why he was rejected and David wasn't. David committed adultery. He lied. He committed murder. The Bible says, Nathan says, you killed Uriah the Hittite. He was arrogant. He disobeyed God. But you know, there's another story. Now, we're gonna and we're going to try to pull these pieces together in a moment. Stay with me if you can. I know you're going to stay, right? <laughs> okay. First Samuel 21. 1 Samuel 21. This is David, a man after God's own heart, who God has already determined. Saul is not dead yet, but David is going to be the new king of Israel. It's a done deal. Samuel's already anointed him. It's a done deal. This takes place after the account of David and Jonathan, which I believe we've covered, haven't we, Gary? This David and Jonathan. And where David and Jonathan... Cemented this pact and where Jonathan, what, what a, what another story. We talked about that in sermon and you talked about it in Sunday school. This man here who, who humbled himself and said, David, you're, you're going to be king and I'm going to be second, even though I'm the king's son. It's a wonderful man, wonderful character. And it's after this account where they have to depart and they shoot the arrow and so forth. You can take time to read chapter 20. And it's after that, David went to Nob, not too far north of Jerusalem. May have passed by when we were there last year. It's not too far. He went to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him. The tabernacle is there. God's centerpiece, God's presence is in the Holy of Holies. It's at Nob. It's moving around at this time. And Dave, David goes there. And the king, and he, and, and he says, why, why are you alone? Why He's trembling. He says, He's afraid. He knows about David. He knows David's the next king. He's heard the stories of David's fro. It's the man who killed Goliath. This is the man who's killed his thousands and ten thousands. Well, you know, more than Saul. And, he's, and he trembles. What are you doing here? Why is no? Why is no one with you? You're alone. David comes all by himself. He is on the run. He's a fugitive from King Saul. Right. Twice, twice he had the opportunity to, kings, to kill King Saul in the caves. We, we see that he refused to. Saul is hunting him like a wild animal, he says, He's desperate. He's hungry, he's tired. How many of you been to the Jordan Valley area with us? How many of you been there? It is dry. It is hot. There are rocks and rocks and more rocks and caves. And he's, and he's hiding. But he comes up north, north of J- Jerusalem. And, and, and the and priest says, why are you alone? What, what, what's going on? Something up here I don't know about? And look what David says. David answered him and looked the priest. Quote, the king charged me with a certain matter and said to me, no one is to know anything about your mission. And your instructions, lie number one. there is no record, and there is no indication, and no Bible scholars even survive that this is true. David just flat out lies to the priest, high priest, and says i 'm here because the king has sent me on a mission, and this is why i 'm here he 's running from the king it 's a lie. it is a lie. As for my men. What men? How many men are with David? It's in chapter 22 where he says, when his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there and all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him and he became their leader. He has no army. He has no 300 men at this point. There are some who have been with him. This is early. And, but he says, "My men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Now, then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread, or whatever you can find. I am starving. This is desperate. Give me some bread." And the priest said to David, "I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is the consecrated bread here. Provided the men have kept themselves from women, it's mistake too on both of their parts. It's the show bread." It comes from the Hebrew word face. This is the bread. You can read about it in Leviticus chapter 24. If you want to take some time. Not right now, but you can read about it. This is the bread that was laid out in two rows with frankincense. It was baked. We don't know exactly the recipe, but it was baked. And it was placed in the, in the, te- in the temple. It was on the showbread table. And it stayed there for a week. It was consecrated because it was in God's presence. It was in the face of God. This was bread offered to God. It's the show bread in the presence of God. And this bread is lined up and it's holy and it is consecrated. It is a sacrifice. And they were not allowed to touch it until the following week when it came off the table and the new bread went out there. It was past poll date, right? The next week. And it was bread specifically, you can read it. It was specifically to be eaten by nobody but the priests because it was holy and consecrated. And it was their food. That's the showbread, And David and the priest. And the priest says, well, if your men are clean, I guess they could have some. And David replies, yes. In verse three, I put my Bible lie number two. Women, that they've been kept from women as usual whenever I set out. The men, things are holy, even on missions. They weren't setting out any holy mission. They're on the run. Yeah, they might have been kept from women, but these men are not clean. They're not purified. And David says, yes, of course they are. Of course they are. Please, we need the bread. And the, he gives him the bread. Verse 6, the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there for them to eat. Except the bread of the presence in the face of God that had been removed from the table before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away, and David eats the forbidden bread. David is from the tribe of Ju- what? Come on, you're alive. What? Judah. The priest, are from the tribe of Levi. He is not supposed to touch this bread nor is this for anybody else. If there are, if there is anybody else, he's lied about what he's doing. He eats the forbidden bread. And what's the consequence? Saul, in, Saul intruded the priesthood. David intruded the priesthood. What was the consequence? Here's the consequence. This is what drew me to this. As I was doing, we were doing our Bible reading this a couple of weeks ago. I knew we were going to have this message. It came from Luke chapter 6. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. Here's the consequence of this story of David lying, probably twice, taking the consecrated bread that was only for priests to eat and Levites to eat, unclean. He eats it. One Sabbath, chapter verse 6, verse 1. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples were hungry. I put that in there. They began to eat some heads of grain, rub them between their hands and eat the kernel. It'd be like walking through a cornfield maybe and, and picking corn, you know, and eating raw corn. It's not the best, but it's okay if you're really that hungry, okay? I mean, maybe it's okay, raw corn. I don't know, I've never tried it. But they, they're they eating it. And and the Pharisees, they said, why, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? You are working on the Sabbath. It is not lawful to eat grain on the Sabbath, to pick it. And work it in your hands, that's work, and to eat it. And Jesus answered them Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God. He doesn't mention the lie, okay? Taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave to some of his companions. That's the consequence. The consequence of David intruding the office of priesthood the consequence is Jesus uses as an example to justify, if he needed to, what they're doing on the Sabbath. That's the consequence. And Jesus said to them, and here's here's the key the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And we read also in the same passage elsewhere in the other Gospels, he says that the Sabbath, the man was not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for the good of man. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I created the Sabbath. I'm here. And it's okay. And he uses David's example. And I just asked the question, here's the threads I want to pull together, and I'm going to leave some untied for you to think about. Why? Why Saul gives up being in a place where his family would be eventually the Messiah. David sins. He intrudes the priesthood. He commits murder and adultery. But God does not take the kingship from him. Why? Well, I'm going to wrap up here. I think the answer is in Second Samuel chapter 7. Second Samuel chapter 7, when David wants to build a temple, his intention. And God says, David, I never asked for that. You're not building me a temple. But he does say this. Verse 11. At the end of the middle of it, I will give you rest from your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. I will be... And he will establish, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, he will be my son. When he does wrong, when he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. Hey, let's just start here and read Solomon and read on. Did they do wrong? Listen friends, they sung so low as to commit human sacrifice. The descendants of David were horrible for the most part, except for a handful. They were as sinful as you could get as kings of Israel and Judah, kings of Judah. But he says, listen, even if he does this, verse 15, look at it. My love will never be taken away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before me. Your house, Your kingdom will endure before me. Your throne will be established forever. This is the Davidic covenant. It is unconditional. So I ask you, what was the difference with Saul and David? Yes, could have been significant character flaws and so forth. But you know what it really comes down to? God chose David. For his namesake. That's it. And, da- and God tells David that when he's saying with Bathsheba, I took you from, I took you from your sheep. I took you, I did this. I did this. I, you didn't do anything. I did everything. God chose David. And God's word stands forever. And even if your sons after you are sinful, like Saul was, The kingdom stays in your family, David. Why? Because it was God's plan of salvation. What if God didn't have a plan of salvation? It was God's plan. And it connects with Jesus telling the Pharisees, hey, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Deal with it. You know what? I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I made this. It was God's plan. Now, What do you and David have in common? What do we have in common with David? It has to do with the plan of God. Let me just read this and we'll have our last song. Ephesians chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms, who has blessed us. Did you deserve those blessings? Anybody here earn those blessings of God? Who has blessed us in the heavenly realm, with every spiritual blessing. Why? For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Chose us to what? To be holy and blameless in his sight. He didn't say he He was waiting to see. He chose us to be holy and blameless through the blood of Jesus Christ. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with the Pleasure, His pleasure and will, to the praise of His glorious grace. Verse 9, according to His good pleasure. Verse 11, in Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything. He works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will why in order that we who first to hope in christ might be for the praise of his glory and you were included in christ and he ends this in verse 14 to the praise of his glory what do you and david have in common for whatever reason god has chosen And I, I don't care whatever your view of a predestination election i think we hopefully could all agree on this God has chosen the church, the body of Christ which we are a part of, to represent him. Why? To the praise of his glory. Why did God establish his covenant with David for God's name? For God's name. And that was the saddest thing about the fall of the kings of Israel and of Israel is it was God's name that was at stake but God will make sure his name is honored. And friends, you look over the history of the the Christian church, and it hasn't been always beautiful. It hasn't been always pretty. And maybe some of you have been in situations that hasn't been always pretty. I I run into that oftentimes in my counseling and, and, and so forth and say, well, you know, I had some really rotten experience at church, you know, and this is why my dad doesn't come anymore or something, or my mom, or why we... And I understand, I get it. Our church isn't perfect. No church is perfect. But we're still here. We're still here. And the church, the body of Christ, is still here. And it will be until He returns. Why? Because we're going to figure it out? We're finally going to get to the point where no one gets hurt anymore. We're finally going to get to the point where our testimony is perfect. We're finally going to get to the point where we have no... No. Because it's His will and it's His name that is at stake. And friends, that is the only, only, only reason that Jesus Christ is the Son of David and not the Son of Saul because God chose that and made sure it happened. And that's why we're here today. And if nothing else, we should at least be aware that we are here to bring glory and praise to the name of God. Let's praise his name. You got to come up and stand up here and listen to you sing sometimes. It's beautiful, beautiful song. Thank you so much for leading us in worship today. God is worthy of our praise. Amen? Amen. You are here today because of His love Thank you. and His love only. And if you have not received Christ as your Savior, you can receive Christ right now. He died on the cross to pay for your sins because you couldn't pay for your sins any more than David or Saul or Solomon or anybody else could pay for their sin. But He loves you so much that God had a plan of salvation and it was a good plan. It worked, and we're here. And I invite you to receive Christ as your Savior. Have a wonderful week. Uh, tonight's service, we'll meet right over here. I don't think there's heat in the sanctuary. If you walk by the office on your way out, just stop and sing, oh, where's my hairbrush? <laughs> <laughs> Slip in Bible, and we'll see if my Bible shows up tomorrow. But I don't have any excuse to go buy a new Cambridge Bible, so that's okay too. So. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We are a humble people. We don't always act like it. But Lord, when we stop, when I stop, man, when I stop and realize what I am and where I could be, and I realize that you you chose to love me. For the foundation of the world, you've called us to yourself. To think we are part of your plan. And just as much as David was part of your plan. And Father, we, we ought to be humbled. We ought to be humbled. We ought to be thankful, we ought to be kind and loving and gracious people so that others will see your grace in us. And Lord, I pray this week, I just pray this week, that our lives will be to the praise and honor of your name. That is all that matters. In his name we pray.